That's how it starts. The fever, the rage, the feeling of powerlessness that turns good men cruel. Welcome. I am Andrew Dice. And I am Stephen Colbert. And this is Batman v Superman by the Minute, a minute-by-minute rewatch of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. For this episode, we have reached Minute 6, a minute that begins with a helicopter landing and ends with the meat of a, a unexpected car chase sequence <laughs> type thing. But let's not delay the inevitable here. This is cue up those slamming drums and this ruckus military presentation of a full-blown action movie in minute six. Jack. Bruce. Jack, listen to me. I want you to get everyone out of the building right now. Yeah, it's crazy how Man of Steel is just kind of this slow burn crescendo into like slowly, slowly, slowly ramping up. And then you get the um, the Smallville fight and then that, uh, you know, kind of transitions into the Metropolis fight. And it's just it's so big at the end. And then this you just snap right in, <laughs> right into it. Yeah. Um, and you almost even get a bigger perspective here of kind of there was so much backlash to the destruction in in Man of Steel that, you know, there was a lot of discussion over, oh, will this kind of contextualize that or are they going to back away from that or a lot of uh, even people saying the first thing the sequel needs to do is like show Superman as the absolutely like literal walking disaster that hit Metropolis. And then yeah. they make us wait. Uh, five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and they, yeah, and they very much, yeah, they lean into it. Not only do they say, oh yeah, no, that was a, that was a bad, a bad thing that happened. And, and, you know, they portray, well, I guess I'm jumping ahead to talk about Batman's perspective on him. But in this minute, we kind of see, oh, not only was it as bad as we saw, but there was, there was even, you know, there were more buildings falling than yeah. were shown in Man of Steel. Yeah. The mankind is introduced to the Superman and it is a nightmare. Yeah. We get Bruce Wayne, this Ben Affleck fellow we've been told is in the movie a few minutes ago, finally appears and we see it's it's very cool breaking down to the minute by minute thing. I never noticed it makes total sense how much the the world engine from Man of Steel um pulsing back and forth all of the water surrounding the city is going like a in the middle of a hurricane. Oh cool, yeah. Um sloshing up as as we get the shot of Bruce running from a helicopter into a car nearby, taking off into the city as fighter jets crash. The the water's going, you know, crazy with the world engine is happening and the music is all I give a great credit to, to Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL, too, because I love this movie, this music so much. And it is similar to Man of Steel, but so different in, oh, in yeah. the way that it's presented here. Well, I remember talking about leading up to the movie because Zimmer's Man of Steel score is great, but he'd already done Batman. Every minute we're like, we're going to stop talking about Nolan's Batman pretty soon here. <laughs> Zimmer had already done Batman, and so that's why he brought in Junkie XL, who I didn't realize had been collaborating with him for a long time, and he he was on Man of Steel as well. But he sort of handed off the Batman duties to, to Junkie in order to have a differentiation of the characters in the score. And it's still everything is still very... 
you know, Zimmer. Like it's not it, it's not quite as much of a schism as that maybe sounds like, but it does create a really cool. There is a very different style of music for Superman and Batman, and it kind of drives the the duality of the two characters. I think maybe more than people appreciate. Well, it's a literal thing. Like right, this is a different perspective on what happened. I think that is such a cool way of dealing with what people expected to see which was this movie kind of call Superman to the carpet and show what actually happened. And we get it, but seeing what actually happened from Bruce's point of view is still so damn cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it also kicks off. So as we've been saying, every minute transitions with some sort of a, of a punctuation mark. And we mentioned that the last of the, the end of the last minute and we get the fighter jets shooting rockets right as we move into minute, into minute six. But then just a few seconds into it, he gets out of the helicopter and you get that world engine you talked about the effect. Yeah, you talked about the effect yeah. that you get from it, but also the sound. Uh, it was actually my wife Amanda was the one that pointed this out to me first. And I didn't even notice it. Is just how pervasive that is throughout the yeah. rest of the movie. That's that sound effect is used kind of to really capture just how much this moment affected Bruce. And uh, you know, I'm, I won't point out all the times now because I'll have plenty of opportunity to do that in the future. But but yeah, this is the first time of. No, this is an imprint on him and he's going to remember this moment and associate the way he feels now, which similar to how he felt when he when his when his parents died, it's just this kind of out of control moment. We know he's been Batman for for 20 years, but this is not the Batman for that that's, you know, the Justice League doesn't exist. He he hasn't fought off any alien invasions. A lot of people don't even know that he exists for sure. He's he's, you know, 20 years and he's he's kind of an urban legend still. Yeah. So it's a it's a twenty year old Batman, but it's like not the same twenty year old Batman as the Dark Knight Returns. This is something he's never even comprehended before that he's being dropped into. It kind of has that element to it of this might be like the first time since he was a kid where he was met with something that was beyond his control. Yeah, like he seems like that kind of person. It was a good thing for me um, when you brought up the use of that world engine noise throughout. Bruce's kind of recurring visions as we go through the movie, it helped me to reflexively realize because the the music is very – it's like as determined as Bruce is mm -hmm. in, in where he's going and what he's doing. But it's a good thing to remember the beginning of this to the end of it. Like you said, he's he's confronted with so much that he is unprepared for. This entire thing – is a trauma like this this entire ordeal that is going to play out with him every step of the way we're going to follow it and this is going to not not just stick with him which was kind of like the first glance of or watch through of this would tell you that this is going to kind of give him his mission mm -hmm. this is going to shift his perspective but i think there is an added layer to it of this is giving him the trauma over again right and you know in, in a much bigger way so that how he responds to it is probably going to be bigger too well yeah and there's a number of really fascinating things going on here from a like a filmmaking storytelling perspective because we closed out the last minute with child bruce rising with the bats and adult bruce saying no that's a lie it's a, a beautiful lie but it's a lie and then you get into this minute and you put him into another situation where he's just as out of control probably more but it, it's that same feeling of of powerlessness ironically as we'll, we will get to later, both of those moments of trauma are punctuated by two things that we're going to see a lot more of throughout this movie. The childhood trauma is punctuated 
by Martha and the adult trauma. The both of those feelings of powerlessness are are attached to Martha and to the world engine sound. And every time they kind of throughout the movie come back to that, you'll have this. You'll have Thomas Wayne whisper Martha, and then you'll have the world engine sound effect. And here's the moment where I say every episode. Is that too on the nose or too subtle? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's make it make a point of it. So hopefully you'll feel the echoes throughout the the rest of this movie when it is returned to. Which honestly, I like. I think what you're saying is is very insightful and makes my viewing experience better. I feel like a part of it would be also just pointing this out, yeah, calling it out to people because I I, I trust you know, the audience or, or listeners or viewers to notice this stuff on their own. Like once it is even called out, just because we're getting down to this granular a level. The thing that, that struck me in this moment was I didn't know what I expected from Bruce stepping into this situation. I guess the music and him being on a mission made sense for kind of the, the idea I have in my brain of Bruce is Batman. You know, they are one and the same, which I, which I do think the movie kind of keeps to more, certainly more than the Nolan movies did. Well, that's a comment that I had about this this particular scene also is this is introducing us to both Bruce and Batman. And I think you could even argue this is still a part of that beautiful lie. He, This is a situation he's never faced before, but he gets off this helicopter. Everyone's running the opposite direction. All the cars are going... He's going against the tide as he goes into the city here. He's going towards the world engine. Everything else is going away. Like, not only the people, but dust and debris and the water and the world engine is literally pushing stuff out. And, um, and he's charging in and he's driving a black car through the city. You know, it's very... Like, he's very... Clear clearly batman he's he's staring down the threat he's not blinking and so yeah when you're asking you know what kind of batman is this i think we're kind of still in that beautiful lie moment of oh no this is this is this heroic won't back down from a fight finds a way to save people no matter what well yeah that it's my favorite image from this opening is him him driving down the street and it's uh this is the first time i noticed the world engine actually like pulling the pavement up at, in front of the road and and what does bruce do he turns right <laughs> it, it's kind of funny because it is portrayed as mm -hmm. powerful <laughs> because he is trying to be right like well that's the whole thing with batman in this universe that's always been a joke but also the greatest thing about putting batman in the justice league is what is he doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like what's his superpower <laughs> like like what's going on here like zod is destroying the city like just ripping it out of the earth and superman and him are battling in the sky and the u.s air force is shooting rockets at this ship that is flying literally through towers and and this is a dude <laughs> who says I'm gonna fl I'm gonna drive a jeep into that. <laughs> I've, yeah, but again, I think that's that's we're still in the the beautiful lie. Yeah, for, um, yeah. He, this is he's in the process of having his worldview dissolved. Yeah, like he thinks that he has power still. He like he looks at that and he says like he's arrogant enough to say, oh, I can fix this. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I in in his defense he makes a point of calling Jack at yeah. his his company, I guess we're to understand, is one of the people in charge of his company. Yeah, who's Jack? Jack, according to the credit list, is Jack O'Dwyer, played by Hugh McGuire, which seems too close to be coincidence. <laughs> I remember that was a – it's not like a, a sticking point or anything, but that's always been curious to me that – 
I guess maybe there are so many known Wayne Enterprises employees, like from the comics to draw from. It seems like that's something they would do, but yeah. Um, and so it's curious. You wonder if that how that's got to be an intentional decision. So why go with you know maybe Lucius Fox would be a bad person to kill off right here. But you'd think they'd, they'd, they'd pull someone like one of the board members that, you know, that have been in a number of stories or, or something. And maybe they were just being sensitive to the fact that, you know, they're already kind of killing off some secondary characters as are the conclusion to all of our shows yeah. likes to emphasize. <laughs> and they didn't want to do that again. Yeah. But Th- this conversation sticks out to me because maybe it was coming off of the idea of, of Bruce Wayne and Batman not caring about people that. Mm-hmm. The conversation, even as brief as it is, you know, is Jack, Bruce, you know, like it, it's instantly to get across that this is, even though we don't know them, this is maybe a closer relationship than you would expect, a, you know. Yeah, he a, doesn't call him Mr. Wayne. Exactly. And the the first words out of his mouth, you know, going into this where what is on his mind is get everybody out of the building mm-hmm. right now with and then it's it's followed up on with Jack saying the boss wants us out of the building so let's make it happen yeah. so it, it's spreading that even beyond that all of these people here who we don't know and we'll never know they all know Bruce they all know that telling them that Bruce wants them to leave will make them do it faster right that yeah. there is there is significance to that even though i know a lot of people would be watching this with a, a comic book superhero movie mindset and saying, why would you need to tell anybody to get out of the building? Why wouldn't everybody be fleeing for their lives? Yeah. And that's, that's something that I remember being a, a big kind of conversation point when the, when the movie came out is just kind of how maybe some people found it silly or, or ridiculous. But I remember having read, you know, the, the scene obviously very much evokes 9-11, which I think there's some more questions yeah. about that we'll have uh, in a few minutes. But I remember um, watching this scene and my memory, because I, I was struck by the same thing of why are they still in the tower? And I remembered that on 9-11, there were people in the second tower who didn't evacuate. Like they just watched the, After first, the first Like one, they didn't yeah. realize, I'm sh- maybe there's, there's an element of shock or they didn't, you know, how do you even know how to deal with that situation? Who knows to expect, you know, a second plane? What is we happening? We get the impression that this is like seconds are ticking by, that this is happening, that decisions are being made or not being yeah, made. Yeah, exactly. And they're, you know, they're, they're obviously, you know, kind of a little bit panicked in the office, but they're, they're, people are still sitting at their desks. And I, um, and so I kind of searched for some articles that I remember reading you know, back, you know, shortly after 9-11. And it's crazy. There's, so what I read was that more than um, like 90% of, of survivors from the Trade Center did not like quickly evacuate. Um, a bunch of them did stuff like shut down their computer, change into a better pair of shoes, uh, took a bathroom break, like packed yeah. up their, their desk. Like having having worked in an office, I know that I've, you know, had fire drills or whatever, it, you know, it's, it's, it's clearly not a drill because they can see out the window. But I remember, like, fire alarms going off and not knowing if it was a drill or not. And just kind of having my reaction yeah. be like, oh, I don't want to go stand in the parking lot without, you know. Or what if I just go straight home instead of instead of waiting around for this yeah. whole thing to kind of blow over? Maybe I'll just pack up my computer and, and just head out instead of having to wonder, you know, when I can get back into the building or or whatever. And that's, you know, that's very trivial because that was, you know, there was not a, a Kryptonian invasion going on outside my office window. Yeah, but it's, it's just kind of crazy how very real of a thing that that is, that it's not weird that there's these buildings falling and 
um, and people aren't leaving. Cause I- well, and if nothing like this has happened, if this is, you know, in in DC's world or well, – I mean even, even if this is a world where 9-11 happened, like it's still 16 years later. Yeah. You know, like the, the idea well, – I think it- people have a, a habit of – especially like with movies but, you know, whatever. It's it's the whole like armchair quarterback of like, oh, I could have made that pass or, you know, or you watch something, oh, I would have been out of that building. It's like, well, yeah, because – because you saw Bruce Wayne get out of the helicopter and and you saw the world engine or or you saw a man of steel and you know that that building is going to fall over that's why you would have gotten out but like if you're actually sitting in in that desk you know you can see what's going on in the streets do you really want to be in the street like what's the like yeah. is that tower really going to fall that's an engineering marvel you're standing in <laughs> you're there you're pretty far away also yeah you know like from what is happening in the distance of this weird thing that you don't even know what it is or what it's doing. Right. It, it, I think it, it lends more to Bruce that he knows. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I'll at least give him that. You know, in, in a minute where he is totally outmatched, at least he knows something big is happening. Yeah, well, and he knows that – yeah, he doesn't know what's happening. He just knows that he thinks he can be helpful closer to the event. Yeah, and I, I think that it helps differentiate the, you know, the kind of character – that he is. And does anything else happen in this minute? It's punctuated by the crashing of the jets, which I always remember as a moment from Man of Steel. Yeah. Where where these sync up perfectly. Yeah, well, that's – yeah, and that's – and we'll see that in the next couple minutes also. But just this isn't the first time that, you know, we've, we've seen this kind of stuff and, you know, even Back to the Future where it's even kind of more crazy with how they sync things up from previous movies. But there's been a number of fan edits out there that take all the footage of Metropolis from Man of Steel and then take all of it from from Batman v Superman and put it together. And it's you, like when it's all together, you can't tell what's from from what movie. It is yeah, it's kind yeah. of impressive just how well everything matches up. Uh, well, congratulations on being the first person to compare Batman v Superman to Back to the Future. <laughs> a two. You know, I I need to stop just saying the first thing that comes to my mind when I try to make these comparisons. The only question I had sort of building off that that last question, though, is with how clearly the Man of Steel did the same thing and then Batman v Superman doubled down on it by kind of including the people in the in the tower, which I I imagine I I imagine they depicted them that way because they know the similar stories to the one that I just referenced of people, you know, not leaving the tower. There's been an interesting kind of debate around these movies, especially because of some stuff that happens later in this one about whether or not it's right or appropriate for a superhero movie to lean so heavily on 9-11 imagery or to evoke kind of that level of destruction to like for storytelling purposes. I mean, I, I, I would, I would not belittle or, or dismiss somebody who had a personal experience with the, you know, the New York attacks and found this especially harrowing. I, would say the like the intent would hopefully matter because I think the the intention of this scene is to show that this was a terrible thing yeah. without recreating. I mean, I'm also aware that like there are people who are seeing this movie that were not alive when yeah. you know that happened. So that is as foreign to them, you know, as like the the first World Trade Center bombing is to me. That was probably repeated and drawn on in countless John Claude Van Damme and Schwarzenegger movies, right? right? So I guess the uh, what was the movie Bird Box, right? Used footage from a real train disaster in Canada. And people were upset because it was suggesting that real tragedy can be used to 
help like help sell a fake one. And I right. and I would understand that is, you know, a no-go. I think that I would say that maybe like the biggest reason why I'm not I was not bothered by it in the theater is that I felt I was still the one making the connection. Like you know, for all your you constantly mention is it too subtle? Is it too subtle? This was was still like echoing but uh, it didn't cross the line into we are trying to make you yeah, think of that. Yeah, I think that's a very good point because, well, it, it's very clear that they looked to 9-11 to say what does a disaster look like Today. And, yeah. how, and how do people behave when that kind of disaster happens and what's the fallout and, you know, how does that affect people because that's all very relevant for for storytelling purposes. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. They didn't have like some guy, like Bruce Wayne didn't say let's roll or anything like that. So, um yeah, and you don't yeah, you so aren't it, shown suffering. Like you, you're not um, you know, the the human toll or the human cost I thought in Man of Steel was you knew people were dying and I feel like the movie wanted you to feel that. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, I feel like it takes a step back even from that and says, mm-hmm. you know, you you don't have time to be thinking about this. We we are going to show you for for all intents and purposes a single person dying. And that is going right. to be what personifies this moment for Bruce. Like the honestly, I think the most evocative stuff from 9/11 is still coming in the movie. It's like after yeah. it's over, you know. Yeah, well, I think that kind of frames the question of is it is it appropriate, you know, if this was yeah. if this was a different movie and that's very much a question of what is this movie trying to be if the rest of this which movie is, was justice league i yeah. would have a i would have a bigger issue with it yeah or if it was you know if if it's basically just everyone was being fridged yes <laughs> for yeah. for the sake of bruce they don't just lean on the on the sort of 9-11 imagery here um or or the, the, there's not just parallels to it here but in the way that Bruce internalizes the source of the attack and the way he reacts to it, straight down to kind of some of the dialogue he uses in response to it, isn't just kind of evoking a sense of 9-11, but also maybe a commentary on it. Or not, not maybe, I think it's definitely a commentary yeah. on the fever, the rage that turns good men cruel and kind of how... That's, I think, something that played out maybe in the real world as a result totally. of uh, of that as oh, well. Yeah, that's a great point. If like if the childhood demonstration of a traumatic thing happening to this kid and giving him a lie to follow decades afterwards to make himself feel yeah, he a be- was dealing a beautiful with it. lie that makes him feel important and, and and like a savior to a city. Yeah, then we're um, gonna show you that literally. <laughs> now let's amp up the stakes as an adult where it's going to be the the city that is shot basically yeah and see mm-hmm. how he responds to that yeah what's the beautiful lie now yeah that's thank god he didn't say that at any point in the movie also <laughs> that right way, before he stabs superman with the spear yeah well, who's the beautiful line now <laughs> alien <laughs> oh my god i want that i want that fan edit yeah, so, well, my only question for this minute was, who is Bruce Wayne? I, th- I feel like we've covered what makes him different. We'll, we'll come back to that in, in the future uh, of the film, I guess. But I like that he's introduced as a billionaire who was enough of a good person that he cares about the people that works for him. Yeah, well, and and there's a question there also that I mentioned earlier that he, he comes into the scene and he's he's very clearly – Batman the the way that they portray him but he's out of costume he doesn't have the Batmobile he doesn't have his gadgets but he's behaving just like 
Batman throughout the scene. It's an interesting choice to have him, Bruce Wayne, in a suit, come in on a helicopter, get in a jeep. Um, when this attack is happening and, you know, Gotham is just across the harbor, why didn't he come in in the bat plane? Why isn't this Batman here, you know, if he's coming to save people? Maybe he was already on the way over for a, a, a meeting or something when it when it started. So, you know, who can say whether that was like the what the canon reason for that oh, is. Oh, yeah, sure. But the storytelling reason I think is very fascinating because this movie very very much takes that the beautiful lie and asks us, you know, what's the difference between Bruce Wayne and Batman? Where does one start and the other end? Um, or yeah. who is he really? Is Batman the mask or is Bruce Wayne the mask? Yeah. And, and that's some stuff we'll be revisiting later. But the fact that they introduce him first as Batman wearing the Bruce Wayne mask instead of having him like in a, in a boardroom as Bruce Wayne I thought was um, was really interesting. I feel really good delivering this lengthy exploration because I don't know if I will have as much to say about the next minute. But <laughs> this was a a cool one in a certain way. It, it's it, it will be interesting to see. To your point, how these kind of comparisons to real life tragedies, you know, like the the person who tells the story for themselves in their time tells a story for all people in all time. So. Mm -hmm. Depending on what world you watch this movie in, this part of it is going to probably be continue to change the resonance, which is uh, sad, but good art does that. So yeah. I think that will do it for minute six. Look at that. We're already half a dozen. This is this is moving at a clip <laughs> here now. We will ask, you know, once again, we are we are inching our way closer to this movie becoming Interestingly, like the movie, it is mostly talked about being. So it, these minutes are are really interesting. It's going to be fun to look back on all of the questions yeah. we had rather than... Well, and you mentioned in one of the... We were already a handful of minutes in and... Or not not a full handful. We were a few minutes in and, and you said there there wasn't even any... We haven't gotten into any um, dialogue yet. And a few people pointed out on Twitter that, you know, Alfred was yelling at Bruce or you've got the, like the Bruce voiceover. But like we don't have... That's all in, in flashbacks or it's, it's voiceover or whatever. But we still haven't reached... Well, no, I guess Jack, I guess that's... Jack has, Jack Jack has like, literally said the, Bruce. Yeah, that's like the that's first it. moment that there's actually yeah anyone even communicating in the movie. So we're finally kind of getting into that. So maybe things are going to take off here a little bit more. Yeah, Jack is about to become a fountain of, of spoken dialogue. <laughs> that will be heartbreaking in its own right. But if you like car driving, you're going to love the next minute. So until then, Jimmy, one more time. Miss Lane! Miss Lane! Jimmy Olsen, photographer. You! Come on, no, no! No! It's okay, Lois. Ela and Tuntarayan and Aqua General. Ile Turagat Inna da Kagatana Tim. He sort of handed off the Batman duties to, to Junkie 